Well, good morning, Highlands. It's good to be with you today. I'm Barry Brendan, pastor of Adult Ministries. And have you ever struggled to find God in the midst of circumstances that you find yourself in? You know, the fears and frustrations of life, do you ever wonder, where is God? Uh, maybe you just wonder, uh, is it worth even following him when you don't see him working anywhere? Well, the answers are found here in the book of Ruth. And today we look at Ruth chapter 3, really what I believe is the climax of the book. And, uh, but throughout the book, we see God working in the very details of this story, in the lives of ordinary people. You know, no miracles, there aren't any dreams, no visions, but there's this unmistakable fingerprint of God working in the lives of these people. Now, remember last week we, we saw that it just so happened, remember, that, that Ruth was gleaning in the fields of Boaz, uh, one of the relatives of Naomi, who was a rich landowner. And uh, when, when Naomi hears that Ruth has been gleaning in this field of Boaz, she just goes into matchmaker mode. I mean, I, I, I kind of picture a combination of MacGyver and, and the matchmaker on Fiddler on the Roof is, is what she was. And she wanted to make sure that Ruth was taken care of. Uh, you know, in the event that maybe Naomi uh, was passing on or whatever. So she uh, starts thinking this way and developing a plan. So she says this, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. Well, the word rest here actually means provision. It means protection of a husband. So Naomi lays out this plan. And <laughs> what a plan. Uh, it's original, all right. And it just might work. Uh, she instructs Ruth to wash uh, and anoint herself, uh, take off her widow's garments and put on some nice clothes. And uh, actually, in, in, in the Old Testament, we see this same sequence used in other people's lives, and it always sig signaled a change was coming in their life. And so uh, here, Naomi was preparing Ruth for a major life change. And so it was harvest time, and Naomi uh, knew that Boaz would be winnowing grain uh, outside. So back then, uh, grain was first crushed, and then uh, afterwards, it was, it was tossed into the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away and, of course, leave the, the grain. It was done uh, usually on a threshing floor. Usually, the threshing floors are like 10 feet uh, in diameter, and it was done outside of town, uh, usually, and uh, many times the owner of the crop would stay with the grain throughout the whole time, even, even sleep with the grain to protect it from thieves and animals and things. Well, Naomi had to find a way to have Ruth approach Boaz in private. And so she um, uh, said this to Ruth. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying, then go in and cover his feet. And uh, then when he will explain to you 
what you should do. So, you know, as I read this, I'm imagining there are single women out there trying to get men's attention, and you've tried everything but this. And so, guys, don't be surprised if you wake up tomorrow morning finding your feet uncovered, okay? <laughs> if anything, don't sleep outside. All right. Obviously, a little background here is, is needed at this point. So let's just unpack this. The plan to meet Boaz wasn't customary, believe me, but it was practical and it was discreet because a threshing floor is outdoors and uh, Boaz would be sleeping probably some distance from the workers uh, in, in doing this. And this would give Ruth her one opportunity to visit him in private and uh, not visiting at his home, actually, which would even have been riskier and the threshing floor was actually less compromising because it offered a measure of privacy, you know, being at night uh, in the dark. So Naomi instructed Ruth, uncover his feet, or really his lower legs. Now, in the ancient world, to uncover any part of a man's body uh, was highly suggestive. And what's more... And Naomi said, I don't want you to split. I don't want you to leave. You lay down after you do this. I mean, you can imagine the fear that Ruth was kind of thinking through this, what that would put her in. Clearly, it was outside of the boundaries of modesty for her to do this. And it exposed Ruth to even a greater peril because Moabite women didn't have the greatest reputation in Israel. You read uh, Numbers, I think it's chapter 25, says that Moabite women seduced the men of Israel and led them astray. So Naomi seems to be taking a huge gamble here. Well, what could happen? Well, first, Boaz could wake up frightened and immediately strike out at whoever it was, not seeing who they were, be thinking it was a thief or an animal. Secondly, he could just wake up thinking her to be a common prostitute and have his way with her, and nobody would have thought the, the, the worst of it. He could be just offended and, and shoo her off as an immoral woman, basically embarrass her, uh, when he told the whole town and have her deported. Um, you know, he could wake up and say, could we just talk about this in the morning and roll over and go back to sleep? You know. Or Boaz could wake up and immediately recognize what Ruth's visit was, was intended to be for and then respond favorably. Now, which one would you choose? What, what do you think would happen? But Naomi had confidence, Ruth, that, that Boaz would do the right thing, that he would respond favorably. You see, the lives of good people, they're not governed by what everybody else is doing because you know what everybody else was doing in Israel was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had forsaken God. They did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. Does, does that sound familiar? Uh, but in Boaz, there was this, this God-given moral compass that ordered his life. And he knew what was right to do. What's Ruth's reaction? 
to the plan. I mean, it could, it could have been, gee, you've got to be kidding me. You want me embarrassed? You know, do you want me deported? Uh, what are the chances that Boaz would actually wake up at midnight and have the clarity of thought to even think that she wasn't a prostitute? But nevertheless, Boaz trusted God through all of this. And so did Ruth. She had faith in God's hand throughout all of this, even the uncertainty of which, which way this would go. And that's exactly how God works. When, when faith begins to show itself, it's always in, in the realm of uncertainty. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, now faith is a reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. You get that? It's the proof of what we can't see. It's, it's where God works in the uncertainties of life. And Ruth said this. He said, I, she said, I will do everything you say to Naomi. She trusts and obeys. Ultimately, it's God. She's all in. Sure, you know, the plan is delicate. It's dangerous. So let's read on. Here's what happens. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law charged her to do. After Boaz ate and drank and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. And she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Well, at midnight, so he'd been, he'd been sleeping probably at least a few hours. At midnight, Boaz was startled. He turns over, and lying at his feet was a woman, and he asked, who are you? Well, Boaz was startled. Actually, the word is, is startled to the point of being frightened. It could have been an animal, right, or a thief. And she immediately says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Take me under your wing because you are a redeemer. Ruth's actions here are just off the chart. She takes the initiative and she turns the focus from her onto Boaz herself. And this just after being mentioning that she's a servant. Now, remember Naomi's instructions to Ruth. Lie down, and when he awakens, he will tell you what to do? Wasn't Ruth paying attention? I mean, didn't she know her lines at this point? Instead, she takes charge, and she tells him what to do. <laughs> she lectures him. Here's a Moabite woman, an alien, lecturing a Jewish man on his obligation to the Jewish law. <laughs> What got into her? You know, here, here you have a woman proposing to a man. You have a younger person proposing to an older person. You have um, a widow, a destitute widow, proposing to a native Jew. You have a field worker proposing to a landowner. Besides that, you know, I think even if Naomi had kind of devised a plan that was somewhat maybe suggestive or passionate. Uh, Ruth basically, uh, you know, just completely 
diffuses any, takes any passion away by calling Boaz, Boaz, you have to do your duty here, do the right thing, and marry me. I would think that to Boaz, that probably felt like a cold shower. You know, there are some times when plans change like this, there's even a lesser chance that it will succeed. And many times, our plans, we trust in the plan. We trust in the process. We even take pride, you know, if we, if we develop the plan or whatever. And what happens when, when that plan isn't followed, you know, to the letter? What happens? We, we sometimes get bitter or we get disappointed or we even blame the person for messing up, you know, in some way. We think God can't possibly work now. I mean, how could that ever happen to work at least in the way we want him to? But, but get this, Proverbs 16, 9 says, a person's heart plants his way. What? The Lord determines his steps. So, so take this plan that you've got, or whatever it is, and say like this plan changes. You know, in some way, shape, or form, where is God in this? He's here. <laughs> you see, a change in plans is no problem for God. Ruth said to him, she said, spread your wings, for you are a servant, you are a redeemer. The word wings here might also be translated garment, which, which typically just means spread your garment over me. It's, it's a way of uh, a marriage proposal, really. But in the Bible, that metaphor, to spread your wings over me, is used of the Lord himself. Look at Psalm 91. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Do you know that today God wants to be your refuge and your strength? Are you, are you walking with him in that way? Is he your shield, your protector, your refuge, your fortress, your banner? But using the same metaphor, Ruth really is reminding Boaz of his earlier prayer. Look back on chapter 2. It says this. Now, Boaz is praying this over Ruth. He says, may the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now Ruth has approached Boaz. And under whose wings is she asking to be under? Boaz. In other words, she's saying to Boaz, Boaz, I want you to be the answer to your prayer earlier. I want you to be that protector for me. Just as Naomi prayed in chapter 1 for God to give Ruth rest, who was the answer to that prayer? It was Naomi. She gave Ruth rest and provision and protection as they went back to Israel. Now it's Boaz's turn to show that same kindness. And in the same way, in the same way, God will use us to be the answer to someone else's prayer. He will do something special, something I appreciate over the years. 
It's simple, but it's profound. It's simply this. God does it, and he uses people. God does it, and he uses people. He uses us. He uses you to answer somebody's prayer, maybe even to answer your own prayer. So when you say you'll, you'll pray for someone, the first question that you should ask yourself, am I a part of that prayer? Am I, am I part of the answer to that prayer? Because God uses us, people, just ordinary people, to accomplish his will. And throughout the book of, of, of Ruth, we see time and time again in, in every single person's life, in Naomi and Ruth and in Boaz, this word keeps cropping up. It's the word said. It's the Hebrew word said. It means this, loving kindness and loyalty that inspires mercy and compassionate behavior in another person. You know, it said this of the Lord. The Lord has said to us, lasts for a thousand generations. And here, the writer is using this of people. What's remarkable here? That when everyone around Boaz and Ruth and Naomi had forsaken God, they continued to demonstrate a loving kindness to each other. They did the right thing. But get this. Even if Boaz had done the right thing here, even if he had followed, you know, the code, the letter of the law, if all he did was perform his duty, this story would have ended in tragedy. That's right. Because sin, self-centeredness, and pride can enter into, especially enter into people who are doing all the right things, who have the highest morals. You see, sin basically takes two forms. One is being really bad and breaking all the rules, and really that was Israel at the time. But the other form is being very good and keeping all the rules and being self-righteous. In other words, there's two ways that we can be our own Savior and Lord. Yeah, the first way is by saying, I'm going to live life my way and just the way I want. And the second way is doing all the right things so we think God owes us to be saved or whatever it is. Today you may be looking at Jesus as maybe an example to follow, maybe a good moral teacher but you're avoiding him as Savior. You are trusting in your own goodness rather than in Jesus to save you. You're trying to save yourself, in other words, by following Jesus, the teacher. It is possible to avoid Jesus as Savior as much by keeping all the biblical rules as it is by not. Both are sin. But thankfully, thankfully here, we don't see that in this story. Notice Boaz's response. It just oozes, you know, with loving kindness. It's totally centered on the other person, on Ruth and her welfare, and indirectly, you know, Naomi. And it was immediate. He woke up, I don't know how, with clarity of mind like that. But this tells me something of his heart. 
He was demonstrating really the hesed of God. He loved Ruth and he said it in every way possible without really saying it in so many words. Defying all conventions without hesitation, this rich master Boaz lets the loving kindness of God guide him as he says yes to this poor Moabite widow. In the same way, there is no hesitation in God's love for you. No hesitation, no matter where you are. No matter what rung you place yourself on the ladder, you know, God's love for you is fervent. It's passionate. It's unrestrained. It's faithful. When it came to dying for you, there was no hesitation. How is it that being awakened at night Boaz knew exactly what Ruth was meaning, and, and then he commends her for it. Uh, his response here just bleeds with loving kindness and has this ring, really, of divine inspiration. So let's look at his response in a little more detail. Number one, he blessed her. Look at what he called her. He said, my daughter. My daughter. The second time, really, he used this of Ruth. It's, it's, it's a term of devotion and commitment. It's a term of affection. It's a term of relationship and protection. You know, uh, he promises, number two, look at 1 John 3, verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has for us, that we should be called his children, his sons, his daughter." And that's what he, way he thinks of us. Secondly, he calms her fears. Right away, he says, don't be afraid. And then shifting his attention to the future, Boaz then promises to do everything she asks. Now, that's a reversal, isn't it? Remember the instructions Naomi said, tells Ruth, do everything he asks now Boaz promises to do everything that she asks. He declares himself as a servant of Ruth. In really saying that, this destitute Moabite widow. In the same way, Jesus, the master of the universe, came from heaven. He became a man, became a servant your servant, to serve you by dying for you, by bleeding for you. Notice what Mark 10, 45 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thirdly, Boaz elevates her. He elevates her. He says, you are a woman of noble character. Notice here, Boaz doesn't comment on her beauty, her outward beauty, although in other writings we, we see that she was beautiful. But here, what really captivated him was her character. In Ruth 2, we see her described as a foreigner, really the lowest of the low, but people caught on. They saw Naomi's love, and they saw her devotion. They saw her loving kindness uh, Ruth's loving kindness to Naomi. 
and committing herself in that way. And, and Boaz, with true said of his own, he saw her now as a woman equal in status and character to himself. Today, you may be caring for a loved one in some way. You may be elevating them in serving them, in serving their needs, and in doing so, you are demonstrating the faithful, compassionate, loving kindness of the Lord himself. Let me encourage you. Let the loving kindness of God continue to flow in you. He will give you the resources you need to continue your care for them. You know what? God sees that. And he celebrates you before the angels in heaven. As you, as you reach out to others and elevate them, their needs, even above your own. You know, three times in this, in this scripture, in fact, in one verse, we see the word redeem. Look at verse 13. Ruth is the object of this verb. It says, if he will redeem you, fine. If he does not desire to redeem you, then I'll redeem you. Well, obviously, the scripture passage here is rich with a theme, with a thought, and that's redemption. And in the same way, our God is a redeeming God. That's his desire for each one of us. He has redeemed us from being alienated from him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says, at that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope, without God in the world, but now, but now in Jesus Christ, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ. Did you notice? Redemption always carries with it a price. Forgiveness always means there's a debt that has to be paid. And Jesus paid for your debt in full by dying on the cross for you when he, when he said it was finished. He took the pain and the violence of the evil of the whole world into his body on the cross so we could go free. And it was absolutely necessary to do that, to restore you and redeem you. You see, Jesus did the right thing, but he did so much more. He literally bled with his said for you, saying, you know, you mean that much to me. He would say again, let me go. Let me go to the cross for you. Let me bleed for you. Let me die for you. Let me give my life for you. Let me take the hit for you. And the fact that Jesus had to die for you will humble you out of your pride. But the fact that he was glad to die for you will free you from your fear. You know what? If you embrace both of these, that he had to die and he was glad to die for you, 
If you embrace this, you will never be the same. We read this in Hebrews 12. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was set before him. Just like Boaz, when you embrace those, the love of Christ will compel you. No matter what your status, you live with humility and confidence. You Highlands, let this be our character as a church family that people will see and experience has said the loving kindness of God through us. Thanks to Boaz, Ruth comes back to Naomi after all this happens with this shawl. It's just filled with grain. We don't know really how much. There are six measures, but whatever it was, it was a lot to carry. Remember in chapter one that Naomi was empty? But now we see God beginning to give her plenty and fullness, beginning to, beginning to open up his true will and, and for her. And you know, when all this happens, at the end of the chapter, again, Ruth is told what to do. Kind of like bookends, you know. Only this time, Ruth is told to wait. Wait until Boaz returns from town. I wonder which was harder for her. I mean, was it actually going in and, you know, following the orders of Naomi before? Or I'll bet you it was waiting. You know, sometimes waiting is the most difficult. And uh, she wasn't in control. Anything could have happened, but during those times in, in, in my life, there's there's three things, handles that I hang on to. The first one is this, sit still. Ruth 3.18, sit still. Exodus 14.13 says, stand still. Moses at the, at, the, at the edge of the Red Sea and watch the victory of the Lord on your behalf. And finally, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, stop striving. Let God control, give God control of your plans. He is able. Rest in him. Trust in him and his great loving kindness and has said for you. You know, as you entered today, uh, you picked up a communion cup. So we go before the Lord in communion. And everyone who has confessed Christ as Savior and Lord are welcome here at his table. We pause to remember his great sacrifice and what he did for us on the cross. And we come before him remembering the price that he paid, just as we talked about, for our redemption. He suffered and he died for our sins to bring us to God, and nothing less would do. But we also come remembering that he was glad to die for us. For it says, God so loved the world. He so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. For it is written, I receive from the Lord that which I pass on to you. On the night he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Join me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for our sins. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve you. You commended your love for us in that while we were even sinners, you died for us. Because you had to, yes. But also because you were glad to. So, Father, we give ourselves to you. We give our plans to you. We want to be the answer to the prayers of people. We want to be involved in your great plan of redemption. So, Father, we commend ourselves to you and thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.